Hi, my name is Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic, and I'm excited to talk to you about Club Med. Club Med operates beach and mountain resorts and is the best all-inclusive getaway for families. They have Club Med Punta Cana, their flagship family resort, and many other options in Mexico, the Caribbean, and around the world. Club Med are the pioneers of the all-inclusive concept, which is the best way to vacation. Great for families, groups, or even solo travelers looking for land and water sports, delicious food. Food and a place to make unforgettable memories. Visit clubmed.us, call 1-800-CLUB-MED or your travel advisor. The Driven Chat Podcast, powered by Paramex Digital. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Driven Chat Podcast, where, as you will have seen from the title, we are revisiting Redux for part two of our podcast conversation. If you are hearing this and thinking, wait a minute, what's part two? Where's part one? Well, you need to hit the stop button and go and find the previous episode to this one before listening to this episode. Ultimately, and actually, you could listen to this episode and it be an episode in its own right. But if you want to build up a picture of how we get to where we are, you are going to listen to, or need to listen to, I should say, last week's episode. So, this is part two. We talk again and continue in continuation with Simon Lord, the creator of Redux. And in this episode, we learn more about how his experiences in life so far as an officer in the army and his drive to start his own business, even though seemingly it was done accidentally and with spurring on from some old contacts and friends, you can see in this episode and hear in this episode about the passion, the drive and the determination that has proved to be so crucial to making such incredible cars. This is a brilliant episode as well. So enjoy, enjoy this episode Next week, business resumes as normal. You will be able to enjoy the episodes uh, as they come. Uh, Not sure that we'll continue to make a habit of the part one and part two episodes, but I thought because I didn't want to cut, I didn't want to edit, I didn't want to remove things from the conversation because all of it was so poignant and so brilliant, I thought I'd break up the episode in this way. So here it is, part two with Simon Lord of Redux for you to enjoy. Thanks for listening. The Driven Chat Podcast. I'll be honest, this, I love it when this happens because I, we've never met before today. Yep. We've been introduced over a, um, an Instagram uh, thread, actually, uh, by Will Beaumont. Uh, Will suggested that you'd be a good person to come along and talk about the, the car. So, of course, naturally, I've done the research on the car. We talked about, um, on the phone last week, we talked about the fact that we were going to talk about the car. You gave me a very quick run through of what it's been. But this conversation has actually taken a massive turn in comparison to what I thought it was going to be, which I love. I love it when this happens, genuinely. Um, and it's been fascinating. And I th- I'm sure a lot of people listening are really going to enjoy the very honest account of the pros but often the cons that come with running a business pursuing an idea pursuing a dream that sort of stuff which I feel like we've definitely done here so let's get up to where we are now that first car is done delivered signed off it works it's driving what happens next does the phone keep ringing do the email inquiries keep coming yes so what happened was um Top Gear picked up on it. Uh-huh. 
online magazine, yeah. Top yeah, Game magazine, yeah. and Petrolicious, Petrolicious, who I'd previously spoken to. So they they put it online first. So I'd done a, a press release and mm-hmm. sent it out. They went online first. So um, Top Gear magazine, I think it was on the front page of their website for two or three weeks. Right. So that generated a huge amount. So the, the, the missing component was there was no video footage of it because mm-hmm. the client had requested that no journalist drive it. Okay, fair enough. So I respected that. I yeah. said, okay, fair enough. Um, so it was it was photos done by Drew Phillips yep. in the US who takes the best kind of sunset golden hour photos mm-hmm. ever. So the car looked amazing. It went out. Um, and then I got an email from VJ, who's the editor of Top Game Magazine, saying, hey, we've been smashing this. You know, we've had loads of interest, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Whenever you're ready, let us know. We'd love to do something else. And then there was this, you know, other people picking up with it and running with it. So... Then I got inundated with a million and one tire kickers and all yeah. the usual stuff, God, which is great. You know, and I was just reading through it going, yeah, that's nonsense, that's nonsense. <laughs> but again, there was kind of enough genuine interest that I thought, okay, well, it's all about now the next car mm-hmm. and who's going to buy it first. Um, and I knew, based on what I'd said about number one, I knew that number two was almost going to be a starting from scratch. Mm-hmm for a variety of different reasons. So I knew that I couldn't continue with the guys that had finished off the first car, so I needed to find somebody else to work with. So that was the the critical criteria at that point. I wanted a kind of long-term partner. They had the right setup, they had the capacity, et cetera, et cetera. Because again, financially, you know, that car, obviously I, I didn't make any money on it and I put more into it. Of course. So for me, I was fully committed now. And as we said earlier, I, I felt it important that I did fully commit, particularly during that first build, and I lived and breathed it, and I was based at the workshop, and I mm. oversaw what was going on, because I felt it critical to do that, yeah. to really understand what it is that I was supposed to be doing. As we were saying earlier, you know, the kind of imposter syndrome was mm. kicking in yeah, yeah. more than I could have ever imagined. Um, so I thought, right, I've just got to live and breathe it. You know, why would I not want to do that? Sure. So I did that. That taught me obviously a huge amount. Um, my initial estimation of parts, you know, <laughs> all of these things that you think you know about. Yeah. Um, turns out that no, actually, I didn't know anything about that. So yeah, my now like seven tab spreadsheet of parts, <laughs> and you know, somewhat different than the first version. Yeah, yeah. So so that was an incredibly steep learning curve. So this felt to me like. You know, yeah, being back at school, day one in the army, what's all Mm. this, you know, just inundated with, right, I have no idea about that, or why do I need to do this, or what's what's this thing that I need to do next? And I guess at this point, you should almost be like on cloud nine, the the first one's done, like you've achieved it, you've done the thing that all the critics said you couldn't do, but the reality is you're actually there going... Oh Christ! Yeah, I'm going to do it again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there, there was there was seemingly no time to even just have that moment of, hey, actually, yeah, well done, you. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, you proved everybody wrong. They all said you couldn't do it. Blah blah blah. Mm. Because it was now just right. I need I need to do the next one. Yeah. And um, as as proud as I was of number one, I knew that like everything that you do, you know, you'll. You'll make a widget and you go, hey, do you know what number two? It's going to be a different widget than number one was. So, 
so there was a very short period when that went live it was just this kind of flurry of activity for weeks of just stuff going on yeah which was great yeah um but also like the last thing that you want having just burnt yourself out for two years <laughs> it's like can i just take a month off and somebody else deals with yeah. it no, i'll tell you what i'll so 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 then i was straight into that which was great um secured the next sale quite quickly which was great so that kind of took some pressure off um and then it was okay now i need to get the right guys to do this mm-hmm. which turned out to be a um the guys just up the road at retro power oh right yeah yeah so that was again it was actually my first client said oh have you seen these guys in the uk building this escort for gordon murray Uh aha which i hadn't so i then binge watched i think they were about 10 or 11 months into the build at that point so i then binge watched all 10 episodes great and they won't mind me saying but the first one's hilarious because it was new they'd never done it before and it was all a bit shaky camera but over the course of it i watched it and thought yeah 100 percent. these are these are absolutely Similar sort of age, you know, they'd yeah. been in about 10 years at this point. Gordon Murray had come to them, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So I arranged to go and see them. Um, I spent half a day with them. We got on really well. They'd seen the first car and I said, right, I'm looking long term. You know, I want the right people involved in this. I've got a load of things in my head that I want to do next. Yeah. And then we made an agreement and then it took obviously a few months just to process all that and get all the paperwork in place and so that then we had a a good relationship of who's responsible for what who mm-hmm. deals with who you know all the usual stuff that you would have going forward in any business relationship yeah of course um so so that obviously then allowed me to relax a little bit that that was in play we'd got the next car lined up we then had a few months before they could start it um again by coincidence there was a guy who'd offered me a donor in the... He was in Abu Dhabi, okay. English guy. Right, okay. So he said, if you ever need a donor, I've got a clean one. <laughs> right, okay. And just on the, the donor questions, because again, I'm sure there'll be a few listeners that want to know the answer to this as well. Do you go for clean cars? or Because I think automatically, I would perhaps assume that maybe a crash-damaged car would be ideal because you're replacing lots of panels or one that's a bit rotten. Do you prefer to go for one that's a bit more pristine then there's a there's a kind of goldilocks Mm. so if you go for something that's in worse condition the amount of time that you spend getting it up to the right standard yeah and therefore the money that you would save paying less for that Mm. sometimes isn't as sensible as going for that one that's 10 grand more gotcha that's in a better condition okay so now we can take um ones that are in a slightly worse condition, yes, by virtue of all the new parts that we've now created. Mm-hmm. But for me, there's that sweet spot of... And also the, the thing is that a client in the US, I get them to register it so it's in their name and it's it's roadworthy. So it can't be terrible condition mm-hmm. because, again, that just makes the whole process significantly more straightforward. Yeah. So so they send it to me. My company has a uh, authority to bring it in mm-hmm. from a customs perspective. Oh, I see, like a temporary car aid. Yeah, 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 yeah. So that, so that was another thing that I... Yeah, why would you even think about, about this? It? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I had to go through that whole process with customs. They were really helpful. So they said, right, we can give you this authority. The car can come in. You're doing work on it. That's fine. Therefore, there's no sort of duties in and out. 
et cetera, et cetera. So that means that, yeah, we take, my, my company assumes responsibility for that whilst it's in the UK. We okay. do the work on it. Um, so we, I use, you know, UK handling agent, they do all the processing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then when we're ready to send it back, same thing in reverse as well. Sure. So therefore there's a certain amount of, um, yeah, the, the car, you know, needs to be registered and drivable, but in terms of dense to the bodywork and all, obviously mm. that's, that doesn't yeah. matter anymore. Yeah, faded paint. Yeah, all of that. So it can be pretty tatty, mm-hmm. um, but again, it's that Goldilocks of, sure. I, I can get this one, but do you know what? We'd spend another 200 hours just yeah. straightening it and getting it right. So, yeah, so straight chassis, you know, straight, minimal damage. We can deal with rot, that's no problem. But overall, yeah. Cleanish, gotcha. Structurally sound. Structurally sound. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, so that that process of um, getting the right people was was critical. That allowed me to then relax a bit, and then also at that point, I needed to earn some money because mm. yeah. I'd been funding all this out of pocket for quite a long time. Um, so fortunately, a project came up which. Um, the CEO of the company that I'd worked for previously, he'd gone on to a project, said, look, I could do with you coming out for six months. Mm-hmm. So I said, okay, I've got this in place now. I don't really want to be longer than six months just in case. Mm-hmm. Lesson learned from the first one, if it starts going wrong and I'm not there and, you know. So I said, right, I'll come for six months. That should give me enough to then continue if I need to come back at that point. Yeah. Um, which, fortunately, it didn't. You know, the guys did an outstanding job. We'd done a lot of groundwork before I left, so we had everything in place. Um, I was very confident in terms of their capability to deliver. The other advantage was they had pretty much everything in-house. The first car, I'd had it bouncing around all over the place. Mm. You know, I went here for that, you know. So that also gave me confidence that that was kind of mitigating the risk of things not going right or things slipping because same thing if you building a house or having your garden done if the plumber's late and then the electricity, you know, all of that sort of stuff as well. So again, I was looking for somebody that could do the the bulk of it in-house just to mitigate that. Mm -hmm. So that was good. So that was all in place. So that then allowed me to go and top up my funds to be able to continue funding this before it was making any money. Um, And then that extended on a little bit further just because I was confident that the guys were doing exactly that. And obviously now we had... You know, WhatsApp, we were using mm. Basecamp for the project management. So we had constant, I was getting video updates, photos, all the usual Perfect. stuff that you would expect to see. Yeah. So, and also the other thing that I'd learned from the first car was, okay, I don't need to physically sit there and look over their shoulder no. and watch somebody working on the shelf for the next five months. Which is huge. Especially when you're... Massive. You know, it's, it's fine to be meticulous. I think there's, again, I hate it when I hear people criticising other people for having like a anally retentive or meticulous eye for wanting everything to be perfect it drives me up the wall when i hear people moan about that because that's the moments that matter so having that ability to know that they've got it they're doing it the tasks in hand and i don't actually need to pester them for it yeah because i i was brilliant i was so nervous about that yeah i can imagine like, really nervous again having had my fingers burnt slightly on the first one yeah and i was thinking this this again is one of those pivotal decision points of can I afford not to go away mm. likewise 
can I afford to trust them to so yeah that that was a really um um sort of defining moment in I'm confident that these are the right guys to do it um they were genuine transparent you know all the things I was looking for um and then from that point it was it was fantastic you know it worked really well they were obviously um really keen to to do the car to the absolute best of their ability and then we get into as you say the the sort of attention to detail which people overuse Mm. but this is all about all of that yeah of course Um, and and there again is is no shortcuts in any of this process so when you're saying to people you know we spent 600 hours on paint Mm. they look at you like you are mental (laughs) yeah because you know how can you spend 600 hours on paint yeah because that's how long it takes to get the right paint finish so again these are all these things that i thought i knew what a good paint job looks like oh god turns out i knew nothing about paint jobs and it it ruins the way you look at cars for the rest of your life doesn't it i so again a brief tiny tiny little window into my past for a short space of time but a year 18 months I was working in the world of PR and brand management and whatnot and one of the brands that I was looking after was a quite a high-end body shop paint shop repair shop and again the same I was convinced beforehand I'd be able to spot rubbish paint you spend even a week with a good painter and a good workshop manager and you will never look at cars in the same no. way it's a bit like learning how TV's made once you learn how TV's made yeah, you yeah. never watch yeah. TV again because <laughs> you're like Oh, really? well, you've recorded that already and you've that's B-roll and I can see that your mouth's not moving at the time that the, the B-camera's filming you. It, my girlfriend hates it. Yeah. Um, I, uh, yeah, I can completely sympathise with, with that and good paint is it is an absolute art. It's, it's an essential thing to a, a great finish on a good car. It's just, yeah. It, yeah, it, it, it's something that, um, yeah, and then you look at 99% of manufacturers. Oh, don't, yeah. Brand yeah. new Ferraris. Everything. Brand new BMW M cars. Everything. Yeah. So it's Shop. only Rolls Royce, um, Bentley, Bugatti. Yeah. Koenigsegg, Pagan. You know, the, yeah. those guys that true. are wet sanded. That's it. That's right. Yeah. And it all comes down to wet sanding. Yeah. Yeah. Not just wet sanding, but that's that's the the finishing Absolutely. Chef's kiss. Yeah, yeah the, the, the personal sign-off. The only when you park cars next to each other. Yeah. And then people look at it and go, oh, right. Yeah. And then, as you say, then you can never, ever look at any other car ever again without just turning away. Yeah. <laughs> Particularly, with, you know, makes you go, hey, look at it. And I'm like, paint job's terrible, isn't it? Yeah. Don't say anything. The worst thing I ever, and it, it happens all the time, people say to me, oh, I've uh, had a, a isolated repair done to my paint. <laughs> or I've... I've so-and-so's borrowed my car and it's had some damage, but I think they've done a really good job. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't, I, I'm not even going to look at it because yeah. I will notice what's not good. Yeah. And it, they're always, it's always an issue. But again, the vast majority of people never notice it. But, yeah, absolutely. And there will be, a, there will be painters and workshop managers and people that have worked in body shop environments listening to this podcast, you know, Rolling praying hands <laughs> to the sky going, yes, so other people understand. <laughs> and it, you know, and that, that's one of those many things that, mm by going through this process then you know you've you've got to you've got to know how long that process takes and yeah. then observe it and and then bearing in mind of course and we'll come on to this now but bearing in mind that we were working with brand new carbon fiber pre-preg panels absolutely so it yeah. wasn't as if yeah 
I was using original panels and then we're filling and no. and I've seen some absolute there was um the first car um I had to have the, the paint redone. Mm. And exactly when you're, I've seen like the green car that I think is the one that loads of people have seen yeah. now on that's the one that uh Henry Catchbolt's driven yes. and some yeah. top gear videos and things. That's a slightly transparent paint to see the carbon. Have I got that right? No. Ah, right. Okay. No, no, no. That that's full colour. The one that we're doing at the moment ah. will be visual weave. And that's a pain. I'll come on to that. <laughs> <laughs> so so the, the the paint, yeah, the green car. Um so the the body shop that did the first car. Yeah. The grey car. Um I remember them showing me it was a I want to say it was like a Mercedes Gullwing. And it had supposedly been done by the guys that you go to in the US okay. for anything to do with Gullwings. Right. And this guy bought it in the UK, shipped it over to the UK, and just noticed that there was something that wasn't quite right. Mm. And, and he brought it to this body shop, and it was just filler. The whole thing no was way. filler. And I'm not talking skim. I'm talking, you know, two-inch thick. Bloody hell. So... One of the advantages of using all new body panels is, of course, we don't need to go that. So people then say, but how can you then spend still 600? Well, of course, yeah. as you well know, the significant majority of that is prep. Yeah. And then the application is, and then it's the wet sanding by hand and all that. So that, that, was, that was a kind of fascinating process in addition to then. So what, what I was able to do after the first car was, so I was now overseas monitoring daily, back and forth, back and forth. Um, I would then go back at periods and check in and see what we're doing, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but what I was now in a position to do was invest in all new carbon fiber pre-preg body panels, right. which I hadn't been able to do on the first car, mm -hmm. not surprisingly, because it costs a lot of money. Yeah. So um, there's a company called Chaos Composites, and they'd actually spoken to the boys at the workshop about after seeing Gordon Murray's car, which used some off-the-shelf carbon parts. Gotcha. Um, I don't know which company provided those, but um, they'd said, look, if you want anything doing custom-made, mm. we're in Melton Mowbray, we're just down the road, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So I'd, I'd been in touch with another company. They both came and did some quotes, and the boys said, yeah, we much prefer to use the guys locally, which has turned out to be fantastic. Mm -hmm. So uh, Jamie and um, Pete, who sort of project manages, the quality of the work that they do is... I mean, they do the Hennessy Venom F5 gotcha. thing, yeah, yeah. Um, in addition to lots of other cool stuff as well. So, So that, for me, was the big step from where I've started to, okay, this is the long-term. So effectively, you know, you can call the first car a prototype and I had this conversation very transparently with the client. I said, there is going to be some things on this that I'm not going to take forward just because yeah. the spec that you wanted and just because it's the first car. Um, so, so I was now in a position that I was able to um, fund through the work that I was doing this process of, getting the panels because I knew that that was the critical step forward and also the differentiator between this and every other E30 M3 that's out there. Yeah. So that also then allowed me to obviously address the rear end that we talked about in the first part, 
and then the arches that we talked about and so that whole process took nine months gotcha wow so you know renderings photoshop blah 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 we've done all of that and then the guys you know clayed it up so we had the original car the original panels on it and then they applied clay on top of the original panels and then shaped it into wow. what we wanted it to be um which was a fascinating process yeah absolutely and i cannot tell you how many back and forth discussions we had about angles <laughs> particularly on the on the box arches mm. and again it's things that particularly talking over <laughs> just audio is difficult to describe to people but the difference it makes literally one or two degree angle yeah. on those and is, this is the so if we're imagining the rear silhouette of the E30 you imagine you kind of draw your fingers over the roof line then down diagonally over the windows that it kind of drops down to the arches and then they do don't they they flare out slightly on yeah. the E30 as a additional i guess box is the right way of saying it isn't yeah. it because it houses box the slightly wide, yeah. wider wheels so on the i'm trying to imagine it now on the ether, the original e30 as it would have rolled out the factory it's quite it's quite a steep angle yeah it is quite steep because it's it? yeah so if you imagine so let's let's say the um that box extends out one inch uh-huh. just as a number yeah so that angle if it's only one inch that angle is going to be relatively steep so therefore it's, if you double that to two inches that angle is going to be shallower. Yes, of course, yeah. yeah. Okay. But your eye will play tricks on you. Uh -huh. So when you see things in profile, your eye will pick up on things that you can't describe what it's picking up on. Gotcha, yeah. Fills the gaps to make sense neurologically, yeah. doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. So therefore, if you start playing around with that, it can look wrong, but you can't say why it looks wrong. Or conversely, it can look right, and you can't describe why it looks yeah, right. Yeah, which is why often weird aftermarket body kits look just don't look right. Awful. Yeah, yeah, because you look at it and go, okay, but from a design point of view, the bumper on its own looks fine, but when it's applied to the Bentley exactly. Bentayga, I want to throw up. Yeah, Mansory. so that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah one of my favourite Instagram pages is Worst Spec. Oh yes, just love it, love it, love it. Um, so all of that, mm -hmm. and. You know, that's a combination of factors is that somebody's not, they've not got the right moulds, they've not spent, yeah, yeah. you know, all of those things combined. They're selling it for 200 quid and then people can't understand why yours cost 20 times that amount. Of course. Yeah. Et cetera. Um, so that whole process was was fascinating from a, an OCD perspective. It was, you know, joy of joys. Because yeah. we were down to, no, that needs to be half a degree different. <laughs> And then also trying to capture that when you're not physically there. Oh God, of course, yeah. Because then it's right. I've got it on video. No, I need I need it from that angle, not that angle, and yeah. all of that. So back and forth, back and forth, and then coming back to the point where they'd clayed it, so they do one side. So I said, right, well, I when you get to that point, I'll come back. Gotcha. Because there's no point in me keep coming back and forth, back mm. and forth. You you get to that stage, and then we're tweaking instead of no, we need to completely redo that. Mm -hmm. So I came back and, of course, there was <laughs> the lads that had been doing it, of course, they'd been living and breathing it for seven, eight months at this point. Yeah. So they can't see. So obviously I'm coming in, even though I'd seen hundreds of photos and videos yeah. of it, I'm coming in fresh. 
And I remember immediately walked in and went, right, that that's not right. And they're like, what do you mean? So whatever that thing was, and then we, mm. and then it was just that process of, and this is where your eye will pick up on things or yeah. play around with things. And those little changes then make quite significant differences. Absolutely. So fundamentally it was great. The, the whole rear end looked really good. The, the redesign of the boot lid in the rear quarters, that just all fitted together. All the proportions, the rear bumper, all of that. And then the last, the missing piece of the puzzle was the rear spoiler because we had the original height rear spoiler. Okay. Which just looked wrong. Again, because all the other proportions have been slightly adapted. everything had been slightly adapted. Yeah. So the, the height of the boot lid was the same. The rear window surround was the same. That hadn't changed. Um, but just proportionally. So then we got into every discussion re revolved around proportions. Yeah. And like we were saying earlier about pain, I now find myself looking at the majority of cars and just going proportionally. It just It doesn't make sense. Yeah. And again, there's no hard and fast rule. It's just because you spent so much time looking at a thing, mm. you then can't unsee that. Absolutely, yeah. Um, so then we got into, and it, and it was really funny. So I said, I think it needs to go up by, you know, 20 mil. Mm. So I bought um, a new Sportivo rear spoiler from BMW. Okay. So I spend a huge amount of money with BMW buying new old parts. Great. I'm talking like 20 grand. I can imagine, yeah. yeah. For all kinds of stuff. Yeah. Um, so I needed the Sportivo rear spoiler to use to then take mm -hmm. redesign. And, and I guess for things like mounting points as well, it makes yeah. a big difference, doesn't it? Yeah, and it had the gurney flap and all of yeah. that. Yeah. So we, we needed one. So I got it. So we had it on the, on the, on the boot lid, and I said, no, it needs to be taller. And it needs to be at a slight angle. So it needs to be like 25 at the rear, 20 at the front. Mm -hmm. And therefore, because we're raising it, that's going to raise, extend the bottom. Yeah. So course. if you think it's, a, yeah, it's going back to angles again. Yeah. So it's at a relatively shallow angle because it's only quite short. Mm -hmm. So if we raise it, then we need to make a steeper angle. Otherwise, it'll extend like the entire length of the boot. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. So I'll never forget. So I said, I reckon, you know, about that much. <laughs> that was how technical it was. Yeah. It just, and we, we put like a little foam piece underneath and raised it up. No, no, another five mil, get mm -hmm. another piece, cut it. Okay. Yeah, that looks about right. And then I said, I think that angle needs to be therefore about here. So I want it to finish roughly where the original line finished. Mm. But because it's taller, we need to cut the. So one of the guys at, um, KS. So he just drew a line. He just got real and went about there. And I went, yeah, that looks about right. Okay. <laughs> so he disappeared. And then he came back and he cut that off. Okay. So this is a brand new, you know, <laughs> hen's tooth sport Evo BMW race spoiler. <laughs> and he and he cut it off. So I looked at him and went, Have you you've just cut that? He went, Yeah, that was I went, well, I hope we're right, because otherwise... <laughs> that's a very expensive <laughs> it's part. A very, it's a very expensive part that I've just destroyed. Yeah. As it turned out, it was perfect. Well, so then, by virtue, again, of changing those angles, so proportionally, you were then looking at it. So, yes, the rear spoiler is taller, mm. but proportionally, it still sits in the same space as the rear. So, again, yeah. all of these, like, we found ourselves having these weird conversations about things that, if you were listening in, 
be like, what the hell are these guys talking Absolutely, about? Absolutely, yeah. So that that whole time, just looking at the car, was do we think it feels right? Mm-hmm. Again, there was no hard and fast, it's right because of that angle or that. Yeah. It was just, does your eye look at it and go, yeah, that that feels about right? Yeah, and that's the crucial thing I find. Yeah. Again, when it comes to, and you, again, you can put this into comparison of many, many things in life, you... We as humans will instinctively notice the things that aren't right. Yes. And we do this with things we see, with things we hear, with conversations we have, with music. If everything's just kind of fine, then it just happens. It takes place and we don't really have any conscious awareness of it. Unless it's the most beautifully stunning thing you've ever seen in your life, then you might go, oh, I'm going to look at that for 10 seconds more because it's pretty. So I think there's definitely a, a comfortable joy in looking at something and going, yep, that's good. But that 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 relates to um, so our faces. I don't know if you've ever seen that mask that's been mm. created. So it's proportions. Yes. Again, going back to proportions. Yeah. So people that are deemed as beautiful, good-looking, yeah. their face is proportionally yeah. the ideal configuration. Yeah, and there's elements of symmetry and that's pattern. That's right, and, yeah. yeah. So therefore, we as human beings, from a procreation perspective, are naturally drawn to people whose symmetry, yeah. so genetically gifted, whatever you want to call them, mm. we are attracted to them for exactly that point yeah. because we want to keep looking at them. So, yeah, that's right. Because yeah. there is something wide in our brains that says that is attractive to look at. Yeah. And we apply that to lots of other things. Yeah. So, you know, the golden applies to buildings you can mm-hmm. use it in car design yeah yep. so again there are certain proportions that just make us happy and as you say largely just kind of skim over it and go yeah that looks good mm. in comparison to yeah mansory <laughs> where you just there's something in your brain that's just screaming going why how yeah. I, I you know i don't understand why you would do that and that applies to 101 other things. Mm. So this is where it gets really interesting because we were then into that zone of we've done the sort of calculations, we've done the, we've got to this stage. Now we are just relying on something in our brain saying yes or no. Mm-hmm. And all of that months and months of work boiled down to that morning, afternoon that we spend just and like you know with body shot when you're looking at paint and you've got a reflection and you're just moving your eye back and forth just to see how that reflection we were doing that there's like four of us stood around the car just (laughs) doing this weird dance just doing this weird (laughs) yeah like something off uh, blue planet you know where you've got like a gecko or something moving up so we were doing that all over the car just looking at exactly what you're describing does does that look right yeah or just does it look a little bit weird Mm -hmm. So as an example, on the on the rear quarter, we realized that it didn't make sense having a flat edge on the the extension of the box. Mm-hmm. So it's got a very, very slight curve in it. Okay. Because it's it's actually pretty long. If you look at the rear quarter of an E30 M3, yeah, it's, it it's quite a big part yeah. in comparison to the front wing, which is significantly shorter. Mm-hmm. So on the front wing, you can have a flat edge. On the rear... It's just got okay. ever so slightly. Yeah. Because again, as your eye runs over it, when it was flat, there was something just saying that doesn't and it took us quite a long time mm. to say, yeah, actually that just needs just in the middle it's gonna be two or three mil. 
Was there any con- ever any consultation with a car designer, somebody with that training? That no. Wow. No. Because that, um, to me, again, as somebody that spent a lot of time talking to car designers, and I went out with one for a bit. Yeah. And it's fascinating learning how car designers look at things. Yes. Or designers of anything, actually. Sorry, let me just interrupt you. Yeah. Initially, I had some guys who had done car design play around with some of the ideas. Gotcha. And then that was shelved. Uh-huh. So there was an element of what they'd done on the rear that yeah. I then carried on. So when I was describing to them how I wanted the boot lid to transition into the rear quarter, and mm. they came up with a design that we looked back on, and I said, actually, yeah, that's... so." Yeah, there was an element at very early stages that was you know way way back. Yeah, but, but then something that I came back to and this said, you know what? Bit. Actually, the way that they drawn it. So mm. yes, so there that, was there was some input. I think that that is, but I, yeah, I still think there's again credit to you at that stage of being able to identify what does and doesn't work in a way that has ultimately resulted in a car that the world has now seen mm. and gone. Blimey, that looks good. You know, I've not seen anyone say it's wrong or it looks worse than an e, uh, original E30. And I think that, you know, again, it, I think that's there's a real talent there because it is a process. You know, in order to, you, you only need to talk to a car designer for 10 minutes whilst looking at a car yeah. that they may or may not have designed. And they will point out things. They'll, talk, they'll point out the flow. Frank, uh, Frank Stephenson's got this brilliant YouTube channel, don't you? You've yes. seen it where he criticizes yeah, yeah. new yeah, designs. Yeah. It's amazing because yeah. you do, you watch things and go, Oh my God, he's absolutely right. I've never noticed that before. And then you look at cars from, I found myself doing this a lot with the E46 M3. It's a car that I used to own. And I remember at the time, at the time of me owning the car, loving it and loving the way it looked. But now I look at the car and think, oh my God, it is such a good looking car. It's got such brilliant proportions. And I took it all for granted back then. So yeah, I I find it brilliantly fascinating that you've been able to identify these tiny points that I think perhaps... Again, 90% of the population wouldn't have even allowed themselves to consider, let alone want to refine and make better and readjust and reassess. I think it's great. Thank you. Um, so this is where it's very much a team effort. So the um, so the guys physically doing the shaping at Chaos, obviously they were very helpful because they'd worked on lots of other cars. Mm. So they had a feel and an eye for actually this is how it should work. Yeah. So that made my life significantly easier. Um Callum, he was really helpful in terms of, again, work that they'd done on other cars and mm. reshaping panels. And so this is where it was very much a collective effort of, well, I think it looks okay. Like, what do you think? Yeah. No, I, I think we need, and often it would just be somebody else going, do you know what? No, we need another two mil or yeah. we need to shave that off a bit. Um, so that whole process was was a very satisfying process to see it come to fruition mm. and come to life and, and us all step back and go, yeah, that, that looks really good. And that was very much a kind of yeah, well done me, great feeling, yeah. pat yourself on the back moment. Um, because that that to me is then, okay, we can talk, we can watch Lyric and we can look at cool bullet parts all day, but that's the thing that everybody's going to look at mm. and go through that process that we've just described of, yeah hey, either that looks great or, hey, do you know what, that's not my thing. Yeah, and it needs um, to be a first impression, doesn't it? It needs to be that you might see the car at Goodwood going up the hill or you might see it parked on a display stand at a, an at event or you might see it outside somebody's house yeah. if they're fortunate enough to have one. And that that kind of 
five to ten second first impression look at it and go, oh, something different about that. Don't know what it is, but it looks good. Yeah, that's yeah. the bit that matters. Yeah, more and, al- and almost then parts. just carrying on with their day and not thinking anymore yeah, about that's it, it. Which yeah. is again what we keep coming back to. Yeah. But that that is honestly the aim in all of this. That it looks as if BMW have done it. Yeah, and despite some of their recent, which we'll move oh, on to. Yeah. <laughs> um, but so that 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 was a really satisfying process to then get to. Okay, raw happy. Mm. We think it looks really good. We were outside, inside, different lighting, and you know all of that stuff. Yeah. Um, the spoiler thing that I talked about. So that was that was the sort of final missing piece of the puzzle, which completely changed the rear end. Yeah. You know that twenty mil here, whatever it was, thirty mil there, completely changed the whole back end. Yeah. Then it just looked right, mm. and it was the first thing that I, I remember. I walked through the double doors, and it was at the bottom end of the workshop. And that was, I just went the rear spoilers wrong. Before I'd even, exactly what you were saying in terms of picking out something that's not right. Yeah. Because everything else just, I just did a quick one over. Yeah, right, that's wrong. Gotcha. And then once we'd done that, then it was just fine tweaking. So then you go through that process. Again, um, I'll I'll pretend that nobody knows on carbon, but then there's a, um, a really interesting process of then how you get to that finished part. Of course, yeah. Um, so say we'd done the sort of hand shaping, we'd got the kind of clay, then you have to prep all that. Then you begin the process of taking the molds off that. Yeah. So then you've got the basis, which you then lay the fiber into, then it goes through the autoclave. Then you take the part out. Oh, I see. So you use the actual clay for the shaping. Yeah. 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 So, so, so we had the original car, it's got the clay on the original car. So we've got the new shape. Gotcha. That we wanted, and then, as I say, they they then take a mold off that okay. for each of the individual parts. Right. I seem to be some sort of fancy three D scan thing. We've three D scanned it as well, right? But initially, they took it direct. Yes, yeah, direct yeah. mold, isn't it? Yeah. Perfect. Okay. Yeah. So, so then, then, so how then we did... did that turn into a carbon fiber car and, I, and again I, yeah actually it's 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 right that we don't gloss over that process of carbon fiber forming because that is spectacularly difficult yeah, to yeah. do beautifully yes um and again to kind of match up the the weave and if it's going into a triangle under the bonnet or on certain panels and if you are going to see it through paint you want it to be perfect yeah so you've got the rtp which is the ready to paint which mm-hmm. is the green car yeah so that comes out of the autoclave as a you know, it looks like a dull black metal part, yeah. and then you apply the paint process on top of that. Yeah, the VQ, the visual weave option is, um, yeah, a whole different. <laughs> so just just to touch on that as a comparison. Um, so what you then need to do is is a workshop where you lay up um, the actual weave onto the car in the correct position so you do half a car again so you lay it into the correct position to then get the perfect matching of the weave at the panel gaps gotcha. um and then you go through so that was what was that that was about a six week four six week process i think <laughs> to do that because um one of the things that i had in mind from the start was the art cars that bmw have done mm. How could I? I didn't expect to do this until my 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 thought process from the start was 
Um, just going back to the numbers, so 30 cars in total. Yeah. Because it's an E30. Yeah. And it was the 30th anniversary. Um, split into three batches of nine, mm-hmm. as BMW did with the three Evo models. Yeah. And then a final three. Yeah. So that was what I had in my head from the start. So I had it in my head that the final three would be full carbon everything, mm-hmm. visual weave. And then we we had the option to do within those three batches of nine slight tweaks like they did with the Evos. Yeah. So maybe slightly different front bumper or a bit of extra air or whatever that thing was. Um but we've now fast forwarded to, to effectively the final three cars as this car as gotcha. So this is um so the reality is so if we fast forward to finishing the first car which was 2018 if you then think the difference between people's understanding of resto mods and the number of resto mods available on the market today Mm. it's completely different yeah so i think back to i'd had those articles done in the us i'd got the sign off from the client green light end of 2015 2016 was bmw centenary I then went to the US to Monterey in August. Mm-hmm. So again, if people don't know what Monterey is, Monterey is a, a week in California where everything is represented. Yeah, The scale of it is, I mean, Goodwood Festival of Speed is phenomenal mm. for four days. This thing is Goodwood times 10. For about a week, isn't it? For a week. Yeah. And every manufacturer has its own thing going on mm. during that week. And then you've got Pebble Beach on the Sunday. You've got stuff at Laguna Seca on the Saturday. So there's a combination of individual brands doing their thing and then collectively big events over Mm -hmm. the course of a week. So the scale of it is, like everything in the US, just insane. So for me, it was a great opportunity to go out to the US, uh, meet Eric Keller, meet the client, all these various people that I'd started to get to know in the US and just understand more about what was happening over there as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was, um, yeah, a fascinating week. And I'd also had a lot of support from BMW Car Club US. So BMW Car Club America has, um, as I understand it, the largest membership of any car club in the world. Yeah, I think I have it's heard like that. like 80,000 yeah. members or something. Crazy, Insane, yeah. yeah. So they've they've been very supportive from from the start. Um, there's a new guy taking over the M chapter now, Esteban um, Ban Two MC, I think is his Instagram. Who is a legend. Yeah. So he's really kind of got a grip of the whole M chapter and does loads of stuff on Instagram, and right. he's been very supportive as well. So my first experience going out there, um, it was BMW Centenary, so obviously it was just a whole gathering of all things bmw mm-hmm. so they had even more events than they would normally have done etc cetera, etc cetera. um and that that was it was just a really good opportunity to speak to people and see how much they understood about what it is that i was proposing to do mm-hmm. and the honest answer was not a lot surprising as that may sound yeah so again Nobody in the US had really heard of alcoholics. Few people, by, by coincidence, my first client has an alcoholics, so he's an exception to the rule. But yeah. most people don't really know what alcoholics is. Sure. 
a few had heard of Eagle because obviously they source most of their cars from California and yeah. quite a few gone back. They got a huge feature on Top Gear, didn't they? And they got that helped. massive feature on Top Gear. Um, so as most of these conversations, Singer was the kind of hot topic on most people's mm -hmm. and they'd been going, you know, five, six years by this point. So they were reasonably well established. Um, so it was just interesting doing that elevator pitch of, oh, so it's like that, but an M3. Yes. Yeah. That was the, the sort of summary of the conversation. You know, fast forward to now, the average guy in the street could give you, you know, probably half a dozen resto mods. Yeah. Certainly true. three. Yeah. Yeah. Um, maybe half a dozen is a bit of a, but they could certainly describe to you reasonably accurately mm. what a resto mod is, the sort of price points, the amount of work that goes into it. And I think that for me, um, it was a really valuable trip in terms of, right, most people don't really understand how much work goes into it. I, at that point, didn't really understand how no. much work goes into it. Now, the market has fundamentally changed. Mm. You know, if you look at the number of options available and they're just coming thick and fast yeah. now. Hi, I'm Dori Shafrier. And I'm Kate Spencer. And we are the hosts of Forever 35. And today... We're talking about Club Med, the best all-inclusive getaway for families. Today, Club Med has nearly 70 resorts worldwide, from beachside resorts in the Caribbean and Mexico, to magical locations in the Maldives and Morocco, to ski resorts in the mountains from Canada to the Alps. Between their all-inclusive family programming, wellness offerings, land and water sports, and their French heritage-inspired food and drink offerings, Club Med is the best way to elevate your family getaway, no matter which location you're at. To learn more, visit clubmed.us. Hello, it's John Markar here from Driven and the Driven Chat podcast. Now, chances are, don't be confused, you are probably already hearing my voice as part of an existing episode that you are listening to. However, this is coming in as a separate section of the podcast in blend with our advertising space. And the reason that I wanted to bring it here at this time, this poignant time, is because we at Driven and the Driven Chat podcast are now opening up the opportunities for sponsors. Sponsors of episode by episode, or a collection of episodes, or a time span, or the YouTube channel, or bits and pieces on our website, you name it, we are now coming up with a little list of sponsorship opportunities that you may want to be involved in. If you are a business or responsible within an organisation, or a company, or a brand that feel that you may benefit from getting your brand put in front of many, many, many listeners all over the world, but mostly here in the United Kingdom, then why not get in touch? The podcast address to email is podcast at drivenchat.com. That's podcast at drivenchat.com. Alternatively, head on over to the website, drivenchat.com forward slash contact, and there you will see some alternative options of getting in contact with us if you want to provide some details about who you are, your company, what you might want to sponsor. It's all there. What I can tell you is that we have tens of thousands of weekly downloads and more than half a million people have now downloaded the Driven Chat podcast. That is a very keen core audience. If you would like to capitalise from that, why not get in touch? One thing I can promise you, it's not going to be as expensive as perhaps you might think. Find out more by dropping me an email, podcast at drivenchat.com, and I will personally reply to you. Now, back to the episode. The Driven Chat Podcast. And I think they will continue to, especially in this world of, you know, we're saying goodbye to internal combustion cars from, from 
OEMs, that's going to come to an end. And I think we mentioned this on the podcast that we recorded with Will Beaumont, actually, at Worker, said, uh, we were saying about, we think we'll probably see more of it as the time goes on. People will become more excited by the idea of having custom bespoke builds or continuation models of classic cars that are no longer made. I think it's going to, it's, it's going to get better. It's going to get more exciting and therefore people will have a better understanding of, you know, why these things cost as much as they do because yeah. of the time and the effort and the work and reworking that goes into them. Yeah. And it's, um, yeah, I mean, so I mean, example, these, these parts that we're looking at here, these lovely shiny billet parts. Um, yeah. I mean, if I take, you know, this is an example. So I've got here the the sort of centre console part where the the stereo sits in the middle of it, and then you've got the heater matrix underneath it. Yeah, which typically on an E30 would be a big chunk of plastic. It's just black it? plastic. Yeah. But so that is beautifully billeted aluminium. Yes. And you um, said before we started recording, you said that it gets painted black, and then most people will look at it and go, "Oh, it's just plastic." Yeah, anodized black. Yeah. So all all these parts that we're looking at all get anodized black. Wow. Which yeah is is a real shame. I'd I'd love to do one with just a clear anodizing so you can still see it, but yeah. we'll, we'll probably get that at some point. Yeah. Um, but just just to you know give people some context. So this part, so we take the original black plastic part, mm -hmm. scan that. Yeah. Then you have to process the scan data. Then it goes into CAD. Then we change. So this is very different than the original design because if you remember the original design here would be the computer or the clock oh, so yes, that actually course, yeah. sits much further over to the left and then above this you would have hazard warning light yeah. rear screen demister the audio left and right channel and so the heater matrix is the same and the, and the button and the fan speed are the same but this to me was just unnecessarily cluttered mm. and also the fact that that didn't sit centrally Again, OCD started twitching. Yeah, yeah. We didn't need the clock. I didn't need the computer. Mm -hmm. And also, by virtue of having that um, keypad in the lower center console, mm -hmm. that means I can get rid of all of those buttons because I can have them programmed through there Absolutely now. Absolutely right, yeah. So yeah. therefore, this can be a lot cleaner. But that whole process takes, obviously, quite a long time mm, because then once you've changed this in CAD, you've got the design how you want it, 3D printer, does it fit in? Does yeah. it work? You know, visually again, we're back to that. Does that look right, or does it look mm -hmm. a bit weird? Um, bit of trial and error. This one, we've we've now recessed it so that the head unit sits flush. Lovely. With that, that was a change on this one. So that whole process, you know, apply that to every single one of these parts. Mm. So again, back to time, cost, yeah, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, yeah, it just takes a significant amount of time, money, and skill to hand it over to, as I say, you know, down at Alitech or uh, Andy at Concept Three Hundred Three, and just say, right, here's what I want, um, and they go ahead and. So I mean, this this is the interior door handle, and again on the. Factory cars, it would have come out, would have been a big bit of plastic. It's that horrible plastic thing, and then it's got that naff matte pocket. And yep. So again, the door. So I wanted it much cleaner, like the E46 CSL. Got you. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Little grab handles. So this is actually designed to mimic the box flat up. Uh, I can see it now. Yeah, now yeah. you pointed it out. Yeah. So again, 
the angle, the box flare. Brilliant. And then the three dimples. So I'll, I'll just go back to the, the numbers. So, um, again, in terms of narrative and context, I wanted continuity mm -hmm. throughout the build as much as possible. So we talked earlier about the Redux logo, how it spells Redux. Mm -hmm. I talked about the perforations on the, the leather. It's got the 30 perforations. Yeah. And so same thing here. So if you look throughout the car... Um, Again, there was never any thought in my mind of removing the BMW rondels or mm. BMW branding. So you've got it on the um, the wheel centre caps. You've got the yep. boot and the bonnet. Um, but then on the the front grille, where the M badge would normally be, I've then got a Redux badge, yep. which is the one there. Yep. And then the same on the boot lid. So where the M3 badge would normally be, Yep. Um, I've got the Redux recessed into, we've recessed it into the carbon now, so again, that's flush. Mm -hmm. So what I wanted to have was just little reminders throughout mm -hmm. the car telling that story of this is something a little bit different. So if you, yeah. if you see that, you've got... And then also kind of touch points within the car. So as you're closing the door, naturally you would kind of feel the three dimples there. We've got the three dimples on the exterior door handle. It's got the Redux logo machined into the back of it. Mm -hmm. So again, you just get a sensation of there's something on the back of the handle. You may not ever see what it is. Yeah. Um, and that whole process of on the, on the pedals, so there's 30 dimples on the pedals. So you've got <laughs> on the throttle, there's three. Yeah. And then on the brake, clutch, and footrest, there's nine on each of those. <laughs> so again, that goes back Love to it. the three series of nine yeah. and the final three yeah. on the pedals. So again, these are things that the majority of people, they might notice that there's some dimples on it, yeah. but would they ever? So a lot of this for me is just something that the client may or may not pick up on. Mm. And then we kind of secrete things in the car as well that we don't tell them about and see if they notice and stuff like that as well. So I love it though, because I think anyone that hears you talk about that to that level immediately, I mean, if I, sadly, I don't have the money to spend on one of these, but if I had, I think I'd be, I'd, I'd rip your arm off and, and get a build slot because just hearing you speak so passionately about how you want everything to be so right would instill all the confidence that I would need to know that the car is just going to be fine. It's going to be built right. And, you know, the worst thing you could ever hear from anyone that wants to build you a car or build you an extension or do any, you know, do an odd job around the house, go, yeah, it's not quite as good as I want, but it'll do. Yeah. It's the worst thing you're ever going to hear, yeah, isn't it? Because it's not going to be right. But this is always going to be right. And the reality is, I mean, all of these bits that we're looking at now only came on on the second car yeah so the, none of these featured on the first car wow um so this was again me having more confidence to say i'm really happy with that but do you know what actually now i quite and this all start all this billet stuff started with the bonnet latch hooks <laughs> so the bonnet latch hooks are like a press piece of metal yeah and they just look a bit naff mm. They're functional, but they just look a bit naff. And on the first car, we did a version of it. That was the only real additional part. And I said, you know what, I want, I want to do that better. Mm. So we redesigned the bonnet latch hooks. And then I was looking at the, 
the tanks. I was saying to you, I've not brought any of them with me today, but then I was looking at the uh, the washer fluid tank, which is that horrible big kind of faded yes, white yes, thing. Yes, that's right, yeah. The expansion tank, same thing. Mm. And I was like, yeah, that... Because we'd... On the first car, on the valve cover, I'd had the logo machined into it, but it was the original valve cover just with it machined in as where now I was in a position to do my own valve cover. Mm-hmm. So again, we did a complete redesign of that. Um, and then it was that, like you said, well, if I've done that, then we may as well do that. And then yeah. we've done that, so we may as well do that. So if you now look at the engine bay on the green car, that has got all the nice all the billet bits in it but they're all anodized black again yeah so they're there they're beautiful but again they just kind of fade into the background which is the whole point so the the thing that really stands out is actually now the valve cover and it's got the removable coil so all the coils normally on the e30 they've got that kind of coil pack that's right yeah and they all kind of drag along the top of the valve cover and go to the coil pack so we can get rid of all of that now Um, and then it's got a removable cover at the bottom, so all the all the cables nicely tuck in under there. So it just looks significantly cleaner. Um, and that process of cleaning things up, making them aesthetically pleasing, but also equally as functional, where do you stop? Mm. And therefore, my point is that going back to the conversation around people's understanding of resto mods, the clients are now far more savvy. Mm. Because most yes, of them have are, already yeah. got. So my first client, as I said, he's got an Alphaholics. He's yeah. got uh, a Singer. Mm-hmm. I think he's got a DLS on order. Um, so what we're now seeing is the the current build that we're doing. This guy's having you know ten, twelve different cars built by various wow. companies. So so we're seeing clients being far more savvy. They're far more comfortable on the spec. You know, on the spec sheet. So my options list has quadrupled. Mm because there is an expectation of all of this stuff, yeah. as you would expect for the money, but then also the personalization of that. Mm-hmm. And then that's that's the key differentiator. And I think that's something that, again, our generation, so when I went right back to the start, so me speaking to somebody like um, Paul Michaels, who's mm-hmm. 20 years older than me, you know, in his mind, it was a almost like a nut and bolt restoration. So if yeah. you speak to somebody of that generation, they would class a restoration as nut and bolt as it came out of the factory. Yeah. So the concept of then changing things is largely, I think, more defined now to a generation. So our generation has grown up with minimal technology mm. through to everything that we can now do. Absolutely, yeah. So we've seen that transition of, well, I can buy an Apple product and I can customise it to exactly how I want it. Yeah. So therefore, why would I not apply that to everything else that I do? So if you look at major manufacturers now, mm-hmm. the options that you can get in terms of personalization on minis or, yeah. you know, it's fundamentally different because people want to personalise their stuff. Yeah. So if you apply it to what we're doing, then it's almost sky's the limit. It's and the you, ultimate, isn't it? Yeah. And everybody wants to have this, the thing that everyone else has got. Yeah. And that's why dealerships, as you say, have option lists, so that you can go in and think, whether you have or you haven't, but you think you've got a bespoke product. Oh, I, I spec'd mine like this because I wanted it. The reality is 100 other people might have done the same thing because it's a tick list with maybe 500 options in total. With what you're doing, you really are 
building something bespoke every single time, aren't you? Because the, yeah. the customer has the option of choosing it in whatever format they want. Yeah, so the configuration is um, is is flexible and continues to be... There are certain parameters, of course. You know, I can't change it every time because it's just not cost-effective for me no, or the client. No. Unless the client just says, you've got unlimited budget, I just want it all, you know, in 24-karat gold, whatever. Um <laughs> Yeah, in fact, we'll come on to that. Um, but <laughs> but my point is, so the you know, obviously, I have a sort of this is the standard spec. This yeah. is what's included. Yeah. So the majority of what you're seeing on the table here is included in the standard spec because obviously, I want a certain look for each car. So I want people to have that in the center console. Yeah. You know, I don't want to have the other option with the hazard warning lights and because that would look stupid. Yeah. So there are certain things that obviously like any any build that's the, and then you get into okay so now we've got um so the the current the next big thing that we did um based on where we left off with so the first car as i say was the turbocharged 2.5 we bought it out to 2.5 mm-hmm. the green car that's also 2.5 naturally aspirated so that hit Perfect. that hit the sweet spot for me. So that was pretty much on the nail, three hundred horsepower. Great, um, and would pick up the the guy um, Dave Dave who uh, he mapped it for me. And I'm not just blowing smoke here. He said it's probably the best torque curve he's ever seen. Really, because it was wow. completely flat. Lovely. So the um, the power just was at almost a forty five degree angle, mm-hmm. and was still going when it hit the red line. We put the red line at eight thousand. We could have gone to eight and a half, but he said, "Let's just be sensible." And yeah. So the power just went forty five degrees to eight thousand, and the torque went up, and then just flatlined all the way across. Wow. So there was no drop off, nothing. And when you drive it, like Henry, mm. it just picks up and just keeps pulling. Right. So from a naturally aspirated S14, that to me is pretty much the perfect. We dropped the weight. That car was 1150, so it was about mm-hmm. 50 kilos lighter than the standard car. Yeah. So, again, it behaved differently. Um, I reckon this car would be closer to 1100. So, again, we're wow. getting into interesting power. So, for me, the only... The only real consideration was the power to weight ratio. Mm. I, you know, people say, "Oh, it should be." I remember one of the few comments that I read, which was priceless. Um, it was, "This should cost one hundred twenty thousand pounds and be five hundred horsepower naturally." <laughs> oh, okay then. Yeah. <laughs> so when you've achieved that, yeah. c- come and tell me, and let me know how much money it's, you've just lost on it. It's utterly. But that you know that's yeah. internet, and and it every is, yeah. everybody will have an opinion. And you know, I I still have this quite regularly. There was um, I was catching up with some mates recently, and he was saying, "Oh, so you're charging X for it?" Mm-hmm. And I said, "Just just think about that." Yeah. And then, okay, this bit just costs this. Mm-hmm. So, like I said, I spend roughly twenty thousand pounds with just BMW yeah. on BMW parts. Yeah. So if we work on the hundred twenty thousand. And I'm and I'm hoping to try and make a bit of money out of this at some point. So all of a sudden, and this is the reality that I can confess that when I started, you know, my numbers, of course, were fundamentally different. Yeah. And then you look at what other people are charging, I was thinking, that's crazy. Mm-hmm. And then you dig down into the numbers and you get to a point where you think, yeah, actually, that's not quite as crazy as I that's thought right. it was. Yeah. But it's that, it's that process of um, 
you know, the clients, as I say, are are savvy. They know what they want most of the time. Mm. Sometimes they'll just say, basically, you decide. Yeah. I kind of think I want this color. And and to, you know, where I'm at with um, one of the clients, he's got his own design team because he's having multiple cars made. Mm -hmm. So I deal with a designer who is then coordinating what he wants. And so that's different again because he's then much more specific about right well we want this color to match with that because of this and then we want this to coordinate with that okay yeah. that's great so that's actually much easier for me because it, it's therefore this will continue to evolve as you said because what i'm seeing is that the guys buying these cars are naturally now building collections of rest why yeah. would they not do yeah. that you know if you bought one of those why would you not also buy one of these and therefore, either they will have a theme through their collection, particular color theme, or and they're also going to come to me and say, ah, well, I've got this on that. Can you do that as well? Yeah. So my point is that we've evolved from that engine, which was lovely, 300 horsepower, 2.5, um, sort of off-the-shelf pistons, BMW Motorsport, 87 mil crank, lovely, mm -hmm. wet sump. Now, having had this discussion and I knew that people were going to come back and say, oh, well, I want a bit more, you know, I want a bit yeah. more power. And I knew that we were, yes, we could have pushed it a bit further. We could have got to 315, 320, but then you're just making things all the more difficult in terms of general maintenance and driving. Yeah. And people say, oh, the race cars went up to, say, 370. Yes. And then they blew themselves Yeah, up. they were designed to do... Four hours, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Qualifying in a race. Okay. So... So then I was looking at, so what options have I got moving forward? Because I know that this discussion is going to come thick and fast. And then mm -hmm. it, almost immediately, clients were going, oh, well, can I have 350 horsepower? Okay. So what can I give them that will satisfy what they think they want in their head whilst also operating in the realms of, I don't want to be... I don't want them to be calling me every three months and saying it's not working yeah. properly or it's, yeah, it's, you know, it's lost power or it's blown. Yeah, yeah. So that very quickly led to a discussion with Darren at Alitech, who I knew had made blocks for Litchfield. Okay, yeah. With the GTRs. So Brilliant. billet blocks. Yeah. So this started over a year ago, and I said, okay, what options have I got in creating my own S14 mm. out of billet. So he sort of <laughs> looked at me and said, and I said, I know that you've done, I've seen them. I know that you've done the blocks for Litchfield. So mm -hmm. I know that you've got the capability yeah. to machine that part. So this started this whole discussion. It was, you know, back and forth. Back and forth. So we, we settled on a 2.7 S14. Okay. Coincidentally, 27, so it's divisible by three, obviously. <laughs> um, that was a serious consideration. Um, so it's 2.7, S14, billet, the whole thing. Wow. So the only thing that we're keeping at the moment is the head. We can do, obviously, a billet head as well, but sure. for now we've kept the head. So it's billet block, it's dry sump. Right. So we've already got the... Um, the billet valve cover, I've changed it now because we don't need the oil cap, so we've got a new design with no oil cap on it. Otherwise, it's the same design. Um, 
And then I've got Arrow, who are manufacturing a 95 mil crank. Wow. I've had Capricorn have made bespoke 95 mil pistons. <laughs> and this one is having titanium connecting rods, also made by Arrow. <laughs> so we're just at that point of about to push buttons to machine things. Um, so on this one, um, so therefore the block looks pretty much the same as a standard block, yeah. which is cast iron. So I reckon we reckon this will be about 15 kilos lighter. Oh, at least. Yeah. yeah. It'll be quite significantly lighter. Um, so it's slightly wider and slightly taller because of the change of the dimensions. But it's yeah. square, which I'm told I'm not an engine guy, mm. but I'm told that that's good. 95 mil pistons, 95 mil crack. Um, so it got very technical, at which point I just left it to the... And I was like, you come yeah. back to me when you need decisions yeah, yeah, or you need money. You all sound like you know what you're talking about. Exactly. So that. therefore, I'm going to do it. I'm yeah. going to defer to your expertise and knowledge <laughs> yeah. at this stage. So this is where, again, it becomes very much a team effort. So mm. that transition of me having to do literally everything and scratch my head and then bring people in to having a trusted team of people that yeah. are incredibly capable and knowledgeable in their particular mm. field... And again, this is very much the way that the military works. You know, yes, I was the officer in charge of 50 blokes, 100 blokes, but they also had all their individual skill sets and I would defer to their knowledge and then ultimately I would make a decision. Yeah. So it all feels very familiar, as with any position of management in any business. Yes. As you rise through your experience and knowledge, ultimately you take a step back and say, John, you are the default guru mm. for this. Tell me what I need to do. Yeah. And then yeah. I make a decision. So that's been great having that team. So we've got, you know, a very experienced engine builder, particularly four-cylinder engines, Paul. Uh, we've got the guys at the workshop who have been through lots of various different iterations of engines. We've had, obviously, input from the guys at Arrow who were just up the road. Um, Seb at Capricorn, he's built a whole world of engines in his career. Mm -hmm. So we had enough people similar to the kind of composite process of scratching heads and calculations and um, engineering discussions where I left the chat and then <laughs> re-entered the chat 50 more, you know, 50, yeah. I'd turn it back on and be like 50 missed messages. I'd be like, right, okay, clearly they've got into the nitty gritty of this. Yeah, yeah. So we've now got to the point where, yeah, we're just about to push the button to machine this thing. Um, and the, again, weird coincidences in number. So I had, because there's, there's then different considerations on, where the cars will be used. So here and the US, there's not really any significant issues in terms of, okay, we've made a new engine or we've done upgrades to the engine. Yeah. Passes an MOT, you're pretty good to go. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, when you go into Europe, yes. very different. Very different, yeah. Very different. So by coincidence, um, I can't remember, there was a some German guy who does um, homologation. Mm-hmm. So he happened to be in the UK. So I said, can you come by the workshop? Met him at the workshop. So he gave me a breakdown of, if you want to do this, you need to consider that, et cetera, et cetera. So one of the things that he said was on the engine, if you do upgrades, it can only be 40% on top of what it was maximum in period. Okay. So for example, the Sportivo was 238. That was what it was quoted as horsepower. So 40% on top of that happens to be 333 horsepower. 
<laughs> okay, maybe I do believe in fate. How, I'll how take we, it all back. How we laughed. Yeah. Um, so, so that that's the number that we're using as a as a marker mm. for the new engine, and then dependent on where it goes, there may be little tweaks here and there. But I think that with getting the car down to eleven hundred kilos, then you're at three hundred horsepower per ton, give or take, which is nine eleven GT three territory. Mm. So the first car, my aim was to get to the power to weight ratio of a 46 CSL, which is 260 yeah. horsepower per ton. And we pretty much hit that on the head with 311.50. So if we can get to 330, 333, 1100, mm -hmm. then that to me is for a naturally aspirated 2.74 cylinder. That's going to be quite a quite a thing. So talk me through. You've got how many cars have actually been built now with customers? Two, two. So from this point onwards, and, and the, I guess the amazing thing is, and it's virtue to um, that first customer, as you yeah. say, who obviously helped kickstart this. Yes. Car number two is the car that, of course, a lot of us have seen. If you're looking at our Instagram feed today, that's the car that's been photographed. That's on our feeds to show what the finished product looks like yep. which again that's been a great boost with the likes of top gear and various other publications giving it a bit of airtime from this point onwards you've got the luxury of going right we know we can make this we know mm. we can make this brilliantly but now we're refining it to be even better yeah how does it get better beyond this point because i'm guessing now you're going to start getting more and more people come forward going right i see what you're doing i love what you're doing i've got the money i'm going to pay for it yeah does it need to get any better or do you feel now it's got to the point where it's just right I think again this is this is the car that we're building now is what I expected to do the last three honestly right. okay so the reason I say that is because not only has this got the new engine but it's also got full carbon ceramic brake kit wow um made for me by a company in Germany called uh, Carbo Brakes. So the, the founder of that, Federico, he used to work for Alcon and various other yeah, brake yeah. specialists. So he's got his own. Um, so, you know, again, machined billet calipers, 7200 billet, which is higher temperature. These are 6082, um, you know, beautiful, weigh just over two kilos each, you know, like crazy. So there's that. Um, I've got a Inconel titanium exhaust system now. Oh, wow. So Inconel manifold and Y-piece and then centre and back is titanium. Um, VQ bodywork. Um, so all these additional billet bits that I've had done since even the last car. Yeah. Um, so from my perspective, it's then just tweaking that. Sure. I think... And this is where I find it interesting with, you know, the usual name that people drop where they've gone in terms of like further and further. And there's like a new version coming out. Mm. Um, so from my perspective, um, you know, again, I don't have the funding to invest in, okay, we're going to bring a new version out every six months. Mm -hmm. All I'm focused on at the moment is the best possible version of where we're at currently. Yeah on the assumption that it will incrementally evolve to a certain extent sure. as we continue through the builds. So the thing that um, 
the next big thing for me is having a car to showcase at the right places. Yeah, of course. So it's a bit of a catch-22 whereby some of the clients now, these are an asset in a trust. I see. So this is where it gets a little bit more complicated in terms of having access to the cars. Yeah, yeah. Because the trustees are looking after the car. So people listening who are petrol heads saying, oh, that's ridiculous, these people mm. shouldn't be allowed to do that. That's the reality of where we're at. Yeah. Because some of these guys have, you know, insane collections and therefore it's managed like their art collection, Absolutely, their properties, yeah. everything else. It's an asset. Yeah. So, so what I'm what I'm pushing for is to then have um, the right car, the right spec that I can showcase, particularly in the US. Mm-hmm. So I'm hoping that's going to be this one. I'm not sure because this is one of this falls under that category. Okay, um, and that was quite clear from the start. This isn't unexpected. Yeah. Um, so what I'm doing, what I'm quite happy to do until the time is right, is just continue doing what I'm doing, keeping a relatively low profile for sure. You know, I'm posting stuff on social media, but um, what I want to do is get all of this stuff, as you can see in front of us, the best possible version of it. So I don't, I honestly don't believe that there's going to be any significant changes from here moving forward. It will just be incremental little tweaks. As I say, even something as simple as on this part you know, we created a recess here instead of it being slightly proud on the head unit last time. Um, And I think, you know, that combination of the new engine, the carbon ceramics, the Inconella exhaust system, the VQ option on the the carbon body panels, the interior, um, yes, there are some... The thing that I could do, which I've talked with some, some other guys about, is having a you know, a carbon sort of bucket seat. Mm-hmm. So we're using the Recaro, the adjustable, like in the Sportiva. Yeah. Which is a great classic seat, works really well. But they weigh 15 kilos each. Yeah, of course. So I could get a, you know, carbon option, which weighs four and a half, five kilos. And then that negates the need for the back seat. Mm-hmm. So then we could do a you know, sort of rear bench option. So yeah, that obviously the first car had that because it had the, the roll cage in the rear. Yeah. But do a nice sort of carbon recessed. And then I've not done it yet, but, you know, a carbon dash. So I've had all the door cards and every, all the rear shelf, they're all new parts. So I can have those done in either GRP if they're trimmed mm-hmm. or carbon if people want to see them. Um, so the dash is the last remaining part to be done just because it's eye-wateringly expensive. I can imagine. From a... Intricate and yeah. difficult vents and all sorts, aren't there? Yeah. So I'm not in the position that I can justify because that's a cost to me to then amortise. Mm. So I'm sure that somebody will say, I want a carbon dash, and then we'll address that when yeah. we come to it. But for the moment, um, so we're trimming this one so it'll be full leather trimmed and all the cards will be trimmed, etc. Um, so there's a few remaining things on the interior that, yes, I'm sure over time will evolve and we'll probably make some design changes and certainly the dash could be tidied up a little bit and, you know, to complement all the billet stuff that we've got on it. But I think in terms of the bodywork, I'm super happy with where we're at with the look of the car. Um, the wheels, I have those made in Italy. So right. they're a play, having spent 
so much time looking at wheels on, <laughs> on the internet, like just ridiculous amount of time. But I've you know I've heard it said many times before the wheels make the car, and it's absolutely it's absolutely true. So true. Um, so they are actually a play on the ninety two BBS DTM wheel, mm-hmm. which yeah. is a magnesium monoblock center lock. Yeah, and ten spoke, which for me is the sort of perfect number like bbs lms yeah but i much prefer the bbs lm because it's a flat face yes so the dtm wheel the y curves that's inwards. right yeah so you actually lose again it's one of those playing with your eye thing you actually lose some of the diameter of the wheel because it mm, yeah disappears like an optical yeah. illusion yeah so when you have a flat face like a bbs lm it looks slightly different yeah so I just said to my guys, right, I want you to use the basis of the DTM wheel, but we have a flat face with a bit of a lip. Mm-hmm. And to me, obviously, because <laughs> that to me is like the perfect combination of it's a classic BBS looking wheel. Yeah. It's different enough than the Sportivo wheel, which was a 16 inch. These are 18. So mm-hmm. again, going back to my point earlier, we can now fit 18 perfectly because we've changed the shape of the arches. We um, tub the inner arches so it fits properly, so there's all the right space. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so if you see 18-inch wheels on an E30, chances are they're using, like, 25-profile tyres or it's rubbing gotcha. or both. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. no matter what anybody says, because it sits in the back of the arch, it rubs yeah. on the back of the inner arch. Yeah, I've got you. And I've seen people say, oh, no, I've fitted 18. I'm sorry, but believe <laughs> me, we've tried everything. <laughs> so... So and again, proportionally, those eighteens just look mm, it does. right. It looks fantastic with the change only with the change in the bodywork. Yeah, because again, most people look back at that sort of Steve Soper Bastos mm. with the white magnesium centre lock BBS DTM wheels. Yeah, that for me was like peak E thirty. So I wanted yeah. to take that, put it on the road car, but have something that works. And they're like. Eight kilos each, those wheels, billet. Wow. Again, machined aluminium, of course. Um, so from an overall design perspective, I'm I'm happy with where we're at, and I think it'll just be maybe the odd little, maybe a slightly different front bumper. Yeah, okay. You know, because we've, we've done a, on that one, we did a combination of where the Sportiva was in the Evo 2, which had the extra chin. Um, so we sort of incorporated it, so the shape of the front bumper, and again, having these... Mm-hmm. Um, lovely machine billet um, air intakes mm-hmm. and the reason having two of them was a nod back to the E9 CSL which has got the two intakes has, yes. and then E46 of course had the single the CSL. large one yeah. for the airbox yeah. so again it was a bit of a, mm. a nod back to that um, so yeah I think apart from that um, it's probably going to be the interior which Again, well, that's where the client spends yeah. all his time sat in it. So that would be the the next phase of tweaking to the. Gotcha. So the appeal then in this uh, second part to the podcast is, we just need to find a multi millionaire yeah. that wants one of these cars that doesn't mind maybe for a year or eighteen months or so doesn't mind having the car going off and doing exhibitions and shows and things. Yeah, that's um, that's that's the next phase. So I've mm. got. Um, the bill that we're looking to start in September, October could well be that car. 
So we're just about to start another one that's going to the US. Um, that could possibly be, that's going to be a, a painted car, but the spec that he wants on that looks lovely. So that's got the new engine in it, the exhaust system, the brake system. Um, quite an interesting colour I think he's going to go for on that, which should look good. Cool. And then I'm hoping to get a car to Japan. That's the other market. I was going to say, yeah. That I would like to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I've got... Um, all very positive so far. He's very interested. He's got a very strong connection with BMW as well, Great. which is good. Um, so it's quite interesting listening to him because he was saying as diverse and eclectic and interesting as the car scene is in Japan, mm. obviously most people know it for like the Liberty Walk and the mm. sort of extreme builds. He said there's not actually that many people doing resto mods. Interesting. interesting. Yeah. yeah. And a, a BMW product I know from personal car ownership a BMW M car in Japan is a really special thing. Yeah, yeah. Like really, really, really special. And I had a Z3 M Coupe imported to the UK from Japan um, and kind of didn't realise at first. To me, it was just like a cool opportunity to have a cool car, left-hand drive, that looks had some cool parts inside. And then when it came over and I started looking at it thinking, oh, actually, there's some really posh bits on here. And I was speaking to a few friends that are very familiar with the car scene in Japan. They were like, ah, well, if it's an M car, a bit like AMG Mercedes products, it's an M car spec in Japan and built in Japan, and somebody has really, really, really looked after that. So, there will absolutely be people in Japan who will be looking at what's happening with these E30s and going, "I need one of those." Yeah, um, yeah. I, I just find we have a whole podcast about. I just find Japan fascinating. I know. Yeah. Um, you know the music scene, the design scene, the history of it. So, yeah, that would be. The perfect scenario would be to have a car available in the US to do the big events there, particularly yeah. Monterey. Yeah. Um, the another car in the UK would be ideal um, again to do the excellent events that we have here. Mm. So I've been Goodwood. I'm hoping next year are going to have a sort of resto mod sector okay. within Festival of Speed. Yeah. So I've been having discussions with them mm -hmm. and they seem quite positive about that happening. Again, because of the number of yeah, it's, interesting it's ones that are range, available. Isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People not wanting to say goodbye to internal combustion engines yeah. and wanting to focus on having an internal combustion engine, but in something that's special and different. And yeah, because obviously they've been showcasing a few, and the way that you do that is obviously to pay money or get mm. some sort of sponsorship deal to do that, yeah. which is fine. Yeah. So so I hope that, hope that happens next year, which would be perfect. Um, but yeah, for me getting a car to showcase mm. in the US, particularly in Monterey, is is the big driver at the moment. Yeah. Um and yeah, there's there's a there's a couple of options on that um which look look pretty good in terms of playing out. So that right. that's and then that would allow me to then, you know, push much harder in terms of the marketing piece, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So yeah. it's um it's good. And it's great the way in which the whole niche is evolving and developing. And yeah, it's yeah. just nice to be sort of involved in it um, and to actually got in reasonably early. <laughs> yeah, absolutely right. <laughs> With absolutely what's going right. on. Yeah. So before we round things up, and I feel like, again, we have, I, I, I now have decided this is going to be a two-parter episode because okay. I think we've gone into two different um, fantastic strings of conversation from the foundation of a business to building something that's, seriously significant and very 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 special which is of course the product 
let's talk about the future then. Let's imagine, you know, we're going to, and I'm sure you've been asked the question already, but there's going to be a string of these sold, undoubtedly. Mm. There are going to be people in Japan buying them. There are going to be more people in the US buying them. There's going to be people in Europe buying them. They're going to sell. Once that 30 is done, what next? E31. Okay. Right. So I made that decision quite a while ago. So when I was in the UK in the early stages, um, I bought an 850i and... It was one of those, my dad, going back to my dad, he was going to buy one in period. <laughs> and then for various different reasons, didn't. Um, but it always kind of stuck with me. And, and that design, I think, is still probably one of BMW's Absolutely bests yeah. ever. It's a kind of, it's a heartbreaking story as well for BMW because, so in case we're getting a bit too technical with model names, E318 series is, of course, the... 1996, seven around that time, wasn't it? it came yeah, mid 90s. Yeah, yeah, maybe slightly earlier. Yeah, um, which came at the exactly the wrong time. Yeah. It was a, it was the perfect car that came out at the wrong time. Massive financial crisis and recession in the US, knock on effect here in Europe. It was the ultimate smart four seater GT car from BMW that nobody could really afford to buy. And therefore, it kind of disappeared for quite some time. Yeah. And they were um, a lot of money as well. They were big money. Yeah. I mean, yeah. the V12s were, I want to say, 70 grand plus. Yeah, of course, 850s. And they were, yeah, I, yeah, there were some absolutely amazing iterations, but they kind of just went by the wayside. And it's now they're suddenly, I mean, they, again, like so many other things, used car values are skyrocketing, but they're skyrocketing in the, on those now because, again, Loads of people, again, we, we said in part one, didn't we, about the fact that there's this resurgence in car ownership for people that perhaps couldn't afford them when they were new or perhaps they were kids when the cars came out yeah. and they aspired to own them and now they can afford them. Then it was this perfect storm of nobody could afford them really unless you were really, really wealthy. And um, as a result of that, I guess it bec they became really aspirational for people to have. But they do, you're right, they look absolutely sublime. Yeah. And they're just ridiculously over-engineered as well. So yeah. they've got, the V12s have got two of everything. Right, so yeah. So like two batteries, two, you know. Um, and then they've got cool things like if you're on the motorway and you've got all four windows down. And the phone rings, the no. windows go up. Uh, well, if you hit 100 miles an hour. Right, that's The rear it. windows go up. Yeah. You know, just So that your phone call's not interrupted. Yeah. Because <laughs> the first time it happened, I was like, the hell's got light of the electrics just <laughs> yeah, going in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but as a pillarless coupe... Um, you know, forget the back seats unless you're yeah. a dwarf, you know, yeah. you're never going to get them. So, again, there's there's so many things that can be done to that that, you know, we left off with the 850 CSI, which, mm. and then they did that one off M8 prototype. Yes, that's right. Which yeah. had the um, origins of the McLaren F1 engine mm. in it that Russia did for McLaren. Um, so, yeah, for me, Naturally aspirated V12, 500 horsepower, full carbon. Amazing. Um, manual. So Excellent. a proper GT, lighter weight GT yeah. with the right amount of power. Um, tidy that front end up. The front end is bad on it, but mm. the rest of it is is pretty much spot on. Amazing. Because um, Dynan did... Um, what was it? The SC, Dynan SC, I think it was called, mm, yeah, which was some like ridiculous 
twin supercharged version of it. <laughs> and at the time, I think it was the most powerful, most powerful road car in the world. Wow. It's like 700 horsepower. <laughs> when if you think, you know, uh, what was it? McLaren, uh, sorry, Ferrari F40s were, what were they, 400, three? Yeah, that's right, yeah. Something like that, 450. So yeah. this thing was like 700 horsepower. <laughs> twin turbo, sorry, it was either twin turbo or twin supercharged, yeah. or supercharged V12. Um, so not that, but mm. um, something that is a step away from the E30 M3 yeah. happens to be the next sequentially in the BMW numbering system. You have to have 31 And do 31 of those. Yeah. Gotcha. So, and then see where we go from there. Yeah. Do you think it'll always be BMW? Um, at the moment, yes, I don't. I don't really have any connection with another mm. another brand that would inspire me to do something with yeah. a another brand. Um, and then after that, one of the considerations Henry mentioned it in his article for Evo Magazine was about parts because I've manufactured so of many course, parts yeah, now. Yeah, absolutely right. Um, now some of these are exclusive to the thirty M threes and will remain like that. Mm. Um, but I think there's an opportunity to do a few of them. Yeah. And because obviously there's always a demand for nice parts for cars. Absolutely. So I certainly yeah. wouldn't sell, um, you know, the, the sort of rear arches and mm. anything like that, which is specific to the cars, but yeah. some little trim parts, like, say like the door handles or yeah, yeah. some of these interior trim parts would be a consideration moving forward. Perfect. Um, just so that people can have a sort of, a taster of some of the bits that we've done but um yeah the majority so i mean like the the diff as an example this has got two mounting points on it so mm. the original's only got one mounting point on it yeah as an example um so unless you wanted to add a, another mounting point then you can fit this on your <laughs> e31 so yeah so there's certain things that there are consideration moving forward but as i said for me at the moment it's about the best possible version of where we're at now with these new parts that we're creating and then just reaching the the right guys to buy them who yeah are going to enjoy driving them and happy to kind of do a bit of showcasing and yeah. showing off of them as well perfect that would be the perfect if the euro millions come up this friday yeah let i me know. promise you i will pick up the phone done promise i'll you. save you a build slot well i'll take two it's one that doesn't need to go to the shows and one that can. Well, you need one that's painted and one that's VQ. Oh, yeah, good point. Obviously. Yeah. That's the uh, that's the perfect combo. <laughs> <laughs> one with a 2.5 engine, one with a new 2.7. Perfect. Yeah, yeah. See? Best of both worlds. Yeah, exactly. Um, and let's, I mean, I say, uh, you know, I was about to kind of make a flippant comment of it, but believe it or not, we have had listeners to our podcast episodes that have heard certain conversations happen, which have later resulted in, and I'm not making this up, um, orders of work in excess of half a million quid as okay. a result of listening to the podcast and going, oh, that sounds like an interesting business, and off they go. So you never know. You never know. There may be the person listening that goes, aha, I have seen photos of that or I have seen that on Instagram, but now it sounds brilliant. Where do people need to go if they want to learn more and make the right inquiries? So the website is reduxlightbow.com and I'll spell that for you. Just <laughs> so it's R-E-D-U-X-L-E-I-C-H-T bau.com all on, all together um instagram is at redux lightbow and that's it i don't use any other 
Perfect. Socials. And to make it easy for you, dear listener, in the show notes to this episode and the previous episode, right down in the comments, you'll see, uh, in the notes, I should say, you'll see links to the website, links to the social feeds. And of course, we will have covered this plenty of times on our social feeds over the past week or two with photos, um, perhaps a couple of videos, bits and pieces there. They're all linked through to the profiles there. So go and have a look. Go and learn more. It's exciting. Thank you so much for coming in. My pleasure. It's, it's been, been great to chat. And it really has. As, as I said at the uh, at, at well the end of our first half of our conversation, I I love it when this happens and it kind of the, the conversations kind of go into multiple dimensions and take on new um, new subjects that I wouldn't have ever thought we were going to talk about. We could have quite easily talked for forty five minutes about how brilliant and light your car is with some posh bits and not really explaining why. But instead, we've gone through a complete variation of uh, mindset to business management to um, mental health strengths and struggles to strive to do something really cool and build something really cool which is exactly what you've done thank you so uh, no, no it's been great no it has been good fun it's been really good fun no doubt our paths will continue to cross um, various events and things um, so yeah all I've got left to say is say uh, best of luck with it I don't think you need an awful lot of luck I think the the work and the passion and the um, determination to get to the products that not only are we looking at here on the table in front of us but also to see the cars that are being made and read the reviews of the people that have been driving them it's all evident it all clearly works so um, yeah I wish you all the very best with it and thanks look forward much. to watching this success unfold thanks very much thank you for you dear listener that leaves us at the end of today's episode thank you so much for joining us as I say don't forget if you want to learn more about Redux have a look in the show notes below and via our social feeds and you'll see everything you need to see there uh, for now we'll call it a day and we'll be back with you in seven days time for another episode not too dissimilar from this one thanks for listening goodbye The Driven Chat Podcast powered by Paramex Digital Hi, I'm Dori Shafrier. And I'm Kate Spencer. And we are the hosts of Forever 35. And today we're talking about Club Med, the best all-inclusive getaway for families. Today, Club Med has nearly 70 resorts worldwide, from beachside resorts in the Caribbean and Mexico, to magical locations in the Maldives and Morocco, to ski resorts in the mountains from Canada to the Alps. Between their all-inclusive family programming, wellness offerings, land and water sports, and their French heritage-inspired food and drink offerings, Club Med is the best way to elevate your family getaway, no matter which location you're at. To learn more, visit clubmed.us.